to the podcast from the Sunday night service at New Life Church. The Sunday night service reflects a desire to be rooted in the historic expressions of faith while engaging God with our whole being in the world today. For more information on New Life Church, you can visit our website at newlifechurch.org. Uh, We are continuing our series in Luke, as the trailer so wonderfully displayed. And we're in Luke 5, which is a remarkable story, and I want us to just sort of see a few things as we read this text together tonight. And so uh, I want to start by by reading it, Um, but but before we do that, I want to just say this. We've talked about last week about Jesus saying He's the Anointed One. He's the one uh, upon whom the Spirit of the Lord is, and this long-awaited anointed one, the, the, the Messiah, and, uh, and all the hope that rose up in his listeners when he said that, and yet sort of a bait and switch, saying, yes, I'm the one that is anointed, the one on whom is the Spirit of the Lord, but there's a few things that are different about this. I'm saying that it's good news from the poor, and you should have known this. This was in your scriptures, but look, nowhere in the synagogue were the poor or the blind. or the, They might have passed them on their way in, sort of maybe with their noses in the air, saying, we're the righteous, uh, God-fearing Jews. And Jesus is saying, don't you remember Isaiah said that when Messiah comes, he's coming for the weak, for the poor. It's good news for those. And uh, we talked last week about what it must mean then to say yes to Jesus. Sort of begins, not sort of, it begins with this admission that we are the poor, that we are the weak, uh, that we're not the strong. And, And that's an uncomfortable admission. Um, you know, when you think of so many of the Christian virtues and, and you look at Aristotle's classic Greek virtues, there's some similarities and you think about temperance and all, all the, there's some overlap. But when you think of the Christian value of humility, that was a strange one because that was nothing that the ancient world, that was nothing the Greeks valued. What do you mean? Weakness, humility, admitting your own, oh, we, we don't do that. And so Jesus is saying that he's come to bring good news for such a group. And we saw the reaction of the people uh, uh, when they heard this, saying, Oh, Jesus, no, 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 get away. They tried to throw him off the cliff because he starts reminding them how even Elijah and Elisha came and brought good news to the outsiders. They brought good news to a a widow that was not a Jewish widow. And and so they're, they're saying, Whoa, 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 Jesus. You skipped the part about judgment in Isaiah 61. Now you're announcing good news for some weak, weak people. And now you're telling me there's favor even for the non-Jews. Whoa! This is not what you're supposed to say. When you look at the speech, the, the direct words that Luke um, puts in Jesus' mouth in his gospel, uh, it may be interesting to note what has happened so far, or what Jesus has said so far. Uh, you remember earlier in Luke 2, Jesus himself, the 12-year-old, says, Don't you know I must be about my father's business? And he says to Joseph and Mary, why are you looking for me? So his, his first speech is this acknowledgement of his identity, of who his father really is. His next speech is this um, announcement moment of the Spirit of the Lord being upon me. So in, our, in the first two sections of Jesus' words that Luke records, we see Jesus who knows his Father and then knows his mission. You might say he knew his identity and then he sort of knew his purpose. I think that'd be an okay way to say that. Um, but then what goes on, and we, we're, we're skipping over this. This is the, the trick with teaching through a book of the Bible. There's going to be some wonderful passages that we just sort of move through for the sake of 
not staying in this book for a couple years, you know. Um, and, and maybe, you know, as, as time goes on, we come back to certain texts. But the passage that we're skipping over is the end of Luke 4, where, where Jesus uh, heals. Um, let's get this right. He's doing some ministry in Capernaum, and there's some demons, and they start crying out. And, and Jesus, well, after, first of all, Jesus actually, let's see, uh, chapter 4, and he says there, 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 there's, some, uh, there's an unclean spirit talking to him. And Jesus rebukes the demon and says, silence, come out of him. And then Jesus goes on and he heals Simon Peter's uh, mother-in-law. And then there's these demons that are speaking again to him and he rebukes them. So now we see a speech of Jesus in Luke 4 that is uh, bad news, if you will, for demonic powers. So there's a Jesus who's got his identity with the Father, got his purpose on earth, announcing good news to the weak. And then he's telling the darkness what the implications of his life means for them. It's, on the one hand, there's implications for the poor that are wonderful. It's good news. But for the demons, it's bad news. It's time to be silent, to be quiet, to get out. In other words, it's Luke telling us that Jesus is saying, your time is up. The real king has arrived. And this is, this is not some sort of a, a disconnected story. It's not Luke kind of podgepodge throwing together a bunch of stories. He's, he's, I think, I suspect Luke is painting a picture for us. And the picture that he's painting is, that's a lot of peace, that the Messiah, the anointed one, is here. And when God begins to set up his rule on earth, it means good news for the poor. And it means that every demonic stronghold, their time is up. The kingdom of God is this phrase, and you've heard me say variations of this, but I think a, a very simple way to kind of say, well, what is the kingdom of God? It's the answer to this question. What would the world look like if God was running the show? It's God's rule. It's God's reign. And not just in a spiritual, internal, mystical way, though that is part of it, but also in this working out sort of way. And Luke means for us to see a kingly Jesus who comes and says, good news for the weak. Bad news for the demons. I'm here. The real king has arrived. All you pretenders, all you posers, your time's up. Then when we get here to Luke 5, our text for tonight, what Jesus is now about to say is he's about to call his followers. So his identity, his purpose, the implications of his power for the demonic, and then now he's saying followers, disciples, who is going to follow me? This is wonderful because if you've, as we're journeying along through the Gospel of Luke, part of what we want to see is, obviously, Jesus and what He's like and then what it means then to by the Spirit's power and by the grace of God to live like Him. That's why the New Testament reading tonight said, if anyone claims to be with God, he must live as Jesus lived. So there's something about why we're studying a Gospel that we're supposed to kind of look for, all right, how do we live this way? What does it really mean to follow Jesus? This is what the text addresses tonight. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. Now Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and the crowd was pressing around him to hear the word of God. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. And then Jesus sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and lower your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. But at your word, I will lower the nets. 
And when they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets started to tear. So they motioned to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they were about to sink. It's a lot of fish. How many of you know? But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For Peter and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's business partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you'll be catching people. A strange phrase. And so when they had brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. We're going to take this text in three sections, and and each section will have a little heading, and then we'll have a little uh, statement that kind of goes along with it. The first heading uh, that I want us to see is the invitation. Uh, the, the first thing that Jesus does with these fishermen is he invites them to help him. Uh, I think so many times we think that our journey with the Lord, uh, maybe following Jesus, uh, begins with uh, our doing something for him. But, but really what we see here is Jesus saying to the fishermen, hey, would you, uh, would you come in and, and, and help me? Come alongside me. I'm not asking you to be this or to be all that. Or do, yeah. But hey, just invite, let me, can I sit in your boat? Uh, I've never been to Israel, and I, I, I know some of you have, and I would love to one day go. But I'm told that this sea had, was sort of a, it had several different inlet points, has several different inlet points. Uh, at any one of them, if you pulled in, it makes a very natural amphitheater. And that, that if you were to sit in a boat in the water, it actually carries your voice over uh, much better than if you'd stayed on the shore and tried shouting. So here's Jesus uh, using some science of acoustics uh, and his knowledge. Of, but in order to do this, he needs their boat or one of their boats. And so the first question is an invitation. It's, a, it's an are you willing sort of question. It's, hey, would you help? Hey, I need, I, just, I, need, I need your boat. There's a whole bunch of people here. Could you let me get in your boat? And Peter says, yeah, sure. In a sense, I wonder if this is for us, as we're, we're going to kind of, as we talk about this, go back and forth between us entering this story and the, the, the text itself in its day. But I wonder how many times the, the Holy Spirit does that with us, where he's saying, hey, just are, are you willing to sort of jump in? Are you willing to kind of, can I just get in, can I use that boat of yours? What, this? You want that? Oh, well, yeah, okay, sure. Uh, I got a friend of mine uh, that I just actually met, like a new friend that I met a couple weeks ago. Um, he emailed me and said he's just moved down from Denver and came from a great church up there that's good friends with New Life. And, and uh, he said, hey, I, I'm, I'm looking for some ways to get involved and can we connect? And so we had coffee. We had a great time. And then last night he texted me and says, hey, you need any help with anything this morning? Well, he didn't know what he was getting into when he asked that, you know, and I said, Actually, yeah, I've got, I need these copies, these handouts taken over for Sunday school this morning. I need the signs set up, and I need someone to run sound and record the podcast, you know, for all for Sunday school. And he's like, great. And he showed up at 10 o'clock and got it all done. It was like, wow. So here's a guy that's saying, hey, are, are you willing? Can I get in your boat? Yeah, yeah, sure. And, and maybe this is where it starts. It's being willing to do something kind of insignificant. What's the big deal? Peter's illustrious journey Peter, by the time Luke is writing this, the head of, or, or, or a significant leader in the church, Peter, by the time Luke's recording this, is well known. And you wonder if Luke's trying to tell us, hey, it wasn't always that way. That this dude was just a fisherman 
who let Jesus get in his boat. You're willing to do something insignificant because maybe that's the beginning of following Jesus. Something small, something insignificant. What comes next, though, beyond the invitation is, I I think, an intrusion. It's the intrusions. Because it's one thing for Jesus to say, hey, Peter, can you help me with my ministry? And I need you to get, hey, let me, can I get in your boat? Yeah, yeah, okay, that's fine, sure. This is Peter helping Jesus. But then the next thing that Jesus does is he starts meddling with Peter's work. Now, I'm told, again, I'm not a fisherman person, least of all a fisherman in the ancient Eastern world. But I'm told that the best way to catch fish is at night. And that because it's still, I imagine it's dark, and then, you know, the unsuspecting fish get drawn into these nets that they can't see very clearly. Okay, so they've toiled all night. Jesus is, you know, so it's almost like Jesus is saying, hey, Peter, thanks for letting me use your boat. By the way, can I tell you how to do your job? And Peter's like, hey, um, you know, I'll be happy to row you anywhere you need to go, but this is what I do. Later on, Luke tells us he had business partners. I'm not sure all of what this was. Some people kind of suggest, oh, maybe they weren't sort of poor fishermen. Maybe they were, you know, were able to do above and beyond what the normal fishermen was supposed to do, were able to do. They owned their own stuff, you know. And all of a sudden, Jesus is saying, hey, will you let me tell you how to do your job? First question is a very innocent invitation. Will you help me do my job? The second question is quite an intrusion. Can I tell you how to do your job? You know, the sticky thing about following Jesus where the rub really comes is when he starts meddling with us in our non-church lives. <laughs> it's like, man, I'm happy to stack chairs, hand out bulletins, do all this, you know, but hey, man, don't try to tell me how to really live outside church. Like, I'm willing to help God in the kingdom, but I don't really want God reshaping how I do me in my life. Several weeks ago, there's a new Mongolian uh, grill place that opened here on Academy, and uh, we were told, yeah, who hot Mongolian grill, and we were told about the open, the, the, the uh, sort of pre-opening uh, test run, which ordinarily should make people nervous when a restaurant does a test run, but it was free food. They were giving free food that day, and they invited members of the military and uh, pastoral staffs, and so it was, it was hopping. So I went to lunch there uh, for the free lunch. I mean, who's going to turn that down? Um, but when I showed up, it was really, really busy, and, and the lines were really long. And so, I, and I sort of, I was between appointments, and I didn't have a lunch appointment that day. Uh, and, and so I showed up alone, and they said, hey, do you mind if we pair you with this um, other woman? And, and normally, you know, I don't do that, but she was quite a bit older than me, and so I felt like, yeah, this, okay. And I didn't, re- I didn't fully understand what was going on. I thought she was there with another guy, to be perfectly honest, and then I discovered it was just the two of us, and it was too late, and I was like, uh, okay, you know. So, and, I'm, and she's not batting, you know, she's thinking it's fine, and I'm the only one feeling awkward about this. And, and so we get to the square table, and there's four chairs, and she sits on this side of one, and I sit on the other side, so it's diagonal, you know. I'm just trying to be above board, okay, and I'm seeing, like, New Life staff people there, and I'm like, hey, guys, I'm, I'm, I don't really know this person. I'm just, you know. Well, come to, find, come to find out that she's the sister of, let's see, the, her brother is the guy that they flew in to train the whole kitchen staff. He's kind of a big deal, okay, so he's from Washington area, and, he, you know, so he's, he's the guy, this is his day, okay, so um, 
Apparently, well, if you've been to the Who Hot Mongolian Grill, you, you pick your ingredients and then you bring it to the big round thing and then they cook it for you. And it's, it's loads of fun uh, and, and scary all at the same time. And it's an adventure. You never know what your meal is going to be like. So while I'm going through this thing, apparently he had asked someone to set down a, an appetizer plate for us. And by the time I sat down, apparently the plate was gone because he was sitting there chatting with her, which I felt better about. And then someone else joined us. And, and so it was, you know, it, it was fine. And, and, and then he starts just swearing up a storm, you know, just, you know, the worst sort of things you can imagine. He's dropping these bombs and, uh, and, and she's looking at me out of the corner of her eye. And she, and she, by this point, she'd found out that I was one of the pastors at New Life, you know, which is, a great way to begin a, a lunch comp with a stranger. And, and, so, and so she's sitting there trying to listen to her brother and be supportive, and she's kind of checking to see my response. And he's, he's who hot. I mean, he's upset. He's, uh, he's hot about the, about the stuff that's gone wrong today, and he's, you know. And then he gets done, you know, and, and she says, well, um, hey, this is my brother, you know, and this is Glenn. He's one of the pastors up at New Life Church, you know. And instantly this guy changes and he says, oh, I, hey, man, uh, pardon my French. You know, he's like, I go to church, too. You know, he's like, I'm a Christian. And he starts telling all this. And I'm like, man, it, it, whatever. You know, I'm not I'm not I'm just here to have a free lunch, man. I'm like here to give you a sermon, you know. And uh, but he feels the same. He starts telling me how. No, no. And then they talk about their family Christmas traditions. It's right before Christmas. And he's like, oh, what are you, what's new life doing for Christmas Eve? I invite them to the Christmas. Eve. You know, anyway, the point is. It's interesting how we want to be connected to Jesus in his world, but we don't want him in ours. We don't really want him to start messing with how we work. It's like, oh, no, no, I'm a Christian. Don't, don't misunderstand. But I'm at my job now, and there's people that are really dropping the ball, and so I'm going to, you know. And here's Jesus saying, hey, Peter, would you, would you drop down your nets? Uh, you know, and he's saying, hey, Hey, Jesus, you're good at the teaching thing. I'm happy to call you rabbi, but uh, I'm a fisherman. What do you know about? And how many times have I heard someone say things like that? Well, hey, man, you're, uh, you know, you you do the church thing pretty good, but like I understand the real world, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm not insulted by that because that's a, that's an understandable response. And you can, you can treat me like that. I don't really care. I'm not offended by that, but let's not treat Jesus like that. That Jesus does mean to intrude in our worlds. He does mean to tell us how to do things in a different way. And here these guys are saying, well, we've, we've done, you, you don't understand that the dumbest thing in the world would be to turn back around and drop nets in the morning. We, we've done it all. You know, if anything, we'll come back tonight. And they do something incredibly inconvenient. They do something that they're already tired. They do something counterintuitive. They do, it doesn't make any sense. I, I think in some ways, if we were to kind of maybe say, what, what does this remind you of? Is it, what, is, what could this be a picture? In some ways, it's a picture of us when we are ready to really follow Jesus. It sort of means admitting that we're at our wit's end, that we've tried everything. Master, we've toiled all night, and I can't do it. And Jesus says, you ready now to let me intrude into your world? Because following Jesus is not about praying a prayer and saying yes and then coming to church and helping out. It's about saying, all right, I admit that I don't really know how to do life. 
I admit that I've worked all night long on my marriage, on my family, on my job, on my friends. I've toiled and I've toiled and I've toiled and I'm still wrestling with anger and unforgiveness and this and this and this. Master, yet at your word, I will listen. But there's something here that Jesus, I know this point says be ready to do something inconvenient, but I feel like it's stronger than that. I feel like it's saying we be willing to let Jesus invade and take over and start to tell us how to now work differently, speak differently, treat people differently. It all changes. But I think in order for that to happen, it requires us to admit, Master, we've toiled all night long. It just doesn't work. We can't do this our way. Finally, the last thing here, the the invitation, the, the intrusion, the last thing here is the commission. And Jesus inviting them to, really leave everything and follow him and let him make them fishers of men. Uh, Peter's response, if, if, if you're soaked in the stories of, of other uh, responses to God and God's holiness, Peter's response is similar to Isaiah's in the sense that Isaiah 6, and he says, woe to me, I'm a man of unclean lips, I am undone. Uh, the difference is Isaiah ends up saying, here I am, send me, and Peter's first response is, please leave me. It's, there's some similarities. Now, Peter does end up going, so the, there's good news there. But there's this recognition of his sinfulness. Now, some people say, well, this is maybe because Peter has seen a miracle. But you know what? We just talked about in Luke 4, Jesus heals Simon's mother-in-law. And there was no such, get away from me then. What is it? Is it that this unbelievable amount of fish, the, the biggest business prophet they've ever had just happened and Simon's got this sense that you're going to ask me to walk away from this, aren't you? <laughs> Please, would you just leave now? And I wonder when, when is it that things start to get uncomfortable? When is it? Is it it's, 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 fun and, it's good and fun to follow Jesus when he's healing mother-in-laws. Cool, man, mother-in-law. But it, it, does it change when he starts saying, hey, by the way, uh, I'm, I'm your source of, of, of provision, and, and oh, you kind of need to walk away from that one. Oh, Jesus, please, just, just leave. I don't, I don't want to deal with this. Following Jesus is, often begins when we, when we say yes to doing something insignificant, it, Takes and kicks it into another gear when we're willing to be inconvenienced and let him intrude. Uh, but it really, really begins to play out in us when we are willing to be radically obedient. To be radically obedient. And perhaps it'd be good for us to um, not so glibly invite people to give their lives over to Jesus, you know? I've been in settings, and I've, I don't know that I've said anything quite like this myself, but I, I, when I was younger, I've been in settings where people say, well, yeah, hey, you know, you've tried this. Try, why don't you just go ahead and try Jesus? And, um, and it depends what people mean by that. I mean, maybe that's equivalent to Simon letting Jesus get in his boat. It does begin with something small like that. Maybe that's okay. I don't know. But I do know that if you really want to follow Jesus, it's much more than a prayer and a, and a nod and a sure. When you're saying yes to Jesus, you're saying that you're ready to walk away from all of this. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said famously, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. 
come and die. And I wonder if Peter was aware of that. And he sees this large catch of fish and he's thinking, oh boy, you want something from me. Get away, get away. No, no, depart from me. And Jesus says, hey, don't be afraid. Yeah, I do want it all. Don't be afraid. What I have in mind is far better, and I don't mean that in terms of you, you know, becoming whatever, this or that, but, but I'm going to reshape your life and your purpose. You're going to become fishers of men. And so they left everything and followed Jesus. I think it's significant that Luke, once again, writing at a time when Peter's already a very respected leader in the church. And Luke has Peter saying, kneeling before Jesus and saying, I'm a sinful man. I think this is Luke trying to tell us again, nobody's disqualified from this. Nobody's left out of this. Don't think that Peter was from the get-go the most... Now, we know this because we know lots of other Peter stories. But imagine if you were living in the first century and you heard the stories of the great apostle Peter... You're hearing stories of what he's doing, and then all of a sudden it gets written down by Luke and others, and then you whoa, there's, these, there's this story about, did you know that when Peter first met Jesus, when Jesus first called Peter, Peter actually told Jesus to leave? Did you know that, that Peter actually said, I, I'm too sinful for this? And you have to wonder if Luke's trying to get his reader's attention and say, look guys, nobody is left out of this. You can all come and follow. You're going to have to leave it all, but you can all come and follow. Let's pray. It's important to know that God is not really interested in helping us find our purpose for our sake. You know? This isn't Jesus saying, let me help you find your purpose and then run along. God helps us discover His purpose and then follow Him in it for the sake of the world. Notice the picture Jesus puts in front of Peter. He says, look, I'm going to make you fishers of men. There's a world ahead of you that we're going to catch, we're going to rescue, we're going to catch. I have a friend who wrote to me recently in an email and said, perhaps, Glenn, it's time to invert the phrase of that popular song not the world behind me the cross before me but what if we sang the cross behind me the world before me in the sense of we're following Jesus out into the world that he's intruded in our lives and he's reshaping and he's calling for radical obedience not so we can discover our purpose and be fulfilled although that's part of what a lot of times happens He's calling us to discover His purpose and join Him in it. Jesus is saying to us tonight, I am working to save and to redeem. Are you with me? And if you're with me, you're going to have to leave some things behind. But are you with me? May the Spirit of God give us hearts to say yes over and over again. May the Spirit of God open our eyes to see the world before us that we are joining Jesus in going to. May the Spirit of God help us each day to let the kingship of Jesus intrude and invade our lives and our work.
in our rhythms so that we understand what it really means to leave it all and follow Jesus. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Convict us, challenge us, change us. Let us be disciples, real disciples, that follow, that walk. For some of us, for many of us, it may not mean a a change of a station in life, but it, it may mean a change of the way we do what we do. But in all of it, help us to go to the world in Jesus' name, by the power of the Spirit. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.